the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Well, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode, I think, 344 as my current uh, guess. It might be 343, uh, but... We will find out. Um, the reason for the confusion is that we have an extra recorded episode, and I'm not sure whether that will get released before or after this one. Right, let's get into it. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Raphael Nolden. And I'm Nate Dunn. Well, welcome along, gentlemen. Thank you for uh, for joining me. No worries. No worries. Now, Raphael, this is your first time on the New Zealand Tech Podcast, so... Tell us, where do you fit into this world of technology in New Zealand? What's your, what's your business? Thank you. It's nice to be here. Uh, I fit into the ecosystem mostly because I am the CEO of a company that creates artificial intelligence-based private tutoring systems, specifically for maths at the moment. That is cool. Well, I'm looking forward to diving in and hearing more about that during the show. Nate, you can remind listeners. Don't do anything as exciting as artificial intelligence. We, I own a software company called 3Bit, and we do all sorts of stuff. We're a big zero integrator and a moderator on GeekZone and all sorts of stuff. Been on here a few times now. I can't even think of how many times, Paul. I've lost count, definitely Nate. Need you to, are almost part of the furniture. Definitely need to apply for a pay raise, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> Must be due for 50% more. So, what have we got to talk about this week? bunch of topics uh european union coming down on google with a massive fine want to dive into that uh malware last week which uh crushed a lot of entities in uh ukraine and also had uh a a concerning impact around the world as well uh in terms of some some particularly big uh multinationals uh that were hit uh, a little bit more of a chat if we have time around uh, Vodafone and the recent TrueNet report, although we do have a separate episode with um, Vodafone's uh, New Zealand Chief Technology Officer, uh, Tony Beard, which, as at the beginning of this, you may have picked up, uh, as we're recording, that has not gone online yet, but it will go online either before or after this episode. Uh, we want to talk about uh, Facebook's growth, hitting 2 billion users, uh, Tesla Model 3 in New Zealand, and also tes- uh, Tesla Model 3 uh, launching, so we're going to hear a little bit about that and some more of, uh, of what Elon Musk has been, uh, been up to, uh, what's happening with Pandora down under, and also whether a UK supermarket will beat uh, Amazon to um, automated delivery of groceries. And then finally, we're keen to uh, hear a little bit from Raphael about... Uh, uh, about his startup, his company uh, Osnova, and uh, um, and their artificial intelligence uh, technology called Amy. So, lots to get through. So let's uh, let's jump straight in to what's happening with uh, the European Commission and Google. So the the highlights there is that. The EU uh, are, are saying that uh, Google have been misbehaving by 
um, putting Google's shopping search comparison service, um, um, I guess, in an unfair position against other comparison sites, of which there are there are you know, lots and lots and lots. Um, guess what's staggering here is just the amount of money three point seven. About three point seven billion New Zealand uh, dollars is the size of the fine, which uh, yeah makes the other some of the other fines that we've seen in the past uh, yeah not not look quite so scary. Mm-hmm. And both uh, Apple and Microsoft have got hit with uh, varying fines. Although the Apple one wasn't an antitrust one; that was uh, more around uh, tax and to do with the situation of. The arrangements that they had with uh, uh, the um, the Irish government. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. So, for anyone that doesn't know how this actually worked, is so you, you type in a, a search into Google, and as soon as the result page, you know, you're searching for a new iPhone or whatever it is, right at the top of the results, before any of the other sort of organically ordered sites or any of the ads, would be a, a sort of a scroller that would go left and right, and then that would be them comparing products. And so the the case really rotated around that because Google's got such a big part of that search market as they were using that influence and you know could be charging the retailers to get onto that that scroll or promote it and really none of the other competitors had that ability because they don't have you know this big search engine that that we we all use on a a daily basis I, I did think it was interesting that they went after that I think that's probably not the only antitrust thing Google's doing, but I wondered if that was sort of the low-hanging fruit. So Google, they, you know, the EU went after that because it was sort of an easy target and something they could quite easily prove. Because yeah, if you've ever searched for a product, I know from memory that it, that's the first thing that does appear. And and last week we were talking about flight search, mm-hmm. and that's just opened up in New Zealand. Right. So you go into Google and say, you know, flight Auckland to you know Los Angeles, Auckland to San Francisco, Wellington, whatever. Um, and it might not be from Auckland, but you know, you get the idea. Those are the sort of searches I'd be doing, and it immediately comes up with with Google's flight, uh, you know, comparison engine jumping in there. And so there are a number of other players in that space as well. They will be licking their wounds right now, or maybe wondering whether to shut down their businesses. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think it's great having more information about flights and how you can get cheaper ones because it's such a non-transparent thing but at the same time i think it should be fair so well what's what is the solution would google have to remove the the ranking of products or would they have to you know allow some sort of api that other or some sort of plugin that other comparison sites what's a what's the solution after they pay the fine surely they can't just keep continuing to do that if you've said that's that's quite they have 90 days to stop doing this oh they've got to otherwise they have a have further fines to pay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some may remember when Microsoft had, they got hit by, well, they got hit in the US for, you know, bundling of Internet Explorer. And so that made it, you know, hard for Netscape to compete back in the day. And then a little bit more recently, they got in trouble for uh, bundling Windows Media Player with uh, Windows. And somewhere, somebody within Microsoft uh, stuffed something up, and they were supposed to have rejigged, rejigged it. If I'm remembering the the right details, maybe slightly off here, but there was there was something where they didn't comply with the EU, with what the EU had demanded. Uh, they didn't perfectly comply, and I think they got kicked with another 
yeah, half a billion um, or a billion extra mm. fines because uh, they weren't uh, managing themselves uh, or that that process correctly, uh, which was was kind of uh, kind of a an interesting situation. Um, or maybe that was that might have even been browser related actually in in Europe as well that one, uh, but. Yeah, there, there needs to be a situation where the dominant player doesn't then make it really hard for other people to be in business as well. So it's uh, it's good, but of course um, Alphabet can afford it because they're um, they're making a, a fair bit of uh, fair bit of money. What do we see here? The uh, the full full revenue for uh, for Alphabet, in, including Google division. Uh, for last year was ninety billion US dollars. So that's um, yeah. There's there's a there's a there's a fair bit of money floating around there. So I think they'll get away from this. All right. Yeah, they'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> now something that had a lot of attention last week, and in fact, this was part of what I did my weekly uh, video on. Uh, last week, and I you know, certainly did a bit across uh, a few media in terms of radio and TV. What there was a lot of interest around this m- malware that looked like it looked like just another ransomware attack to a to a degree when it came out, um, and it was being referred to as Petcha. They're not Petra and a couple of other uh, couple of other names as well, but it seems as though it was really just a, a thinly veiled um, attack on Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a quite a horrible situation to be in for for um, a country to be targeted like this and this the speculation is that this was a, a state sponsored attack i i would i would imagine there wouldn't be any other players that are uh, particularly keen to make life hard for uh, the ukrainians other than other than russia at this stage and that seems to be uh, all the pointers and yeah there was uh, there was a pretty big impact across uh, across the country and in, in fact, it seems that a, a lot of the entities in Ukraine that were hit were hit via a update to a legitimate piece of uh, local software, which is kind of uh, kind of nasty, right? Yeah, and and from what I hear, it wasn't even necessarily ransomware, but actually wifeware. So basically, it's deleting that data, and it's just there to cause trouble. Yeah, so there was there was sort of a, a layer there saying, look, you know, send uh, send. Uh, you know, Bitcoin, US three hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin to this address. The email associated with it got shut down very quickly. It was mm-hmm. clear that they weren't really geared up to be, uh, um, yeah, taking the uh, the the ransom money. They were just focused mm-hmm. on causing mm-hmm. havoc, which they certainly did. And you know, some really big global entities, uh, WPP Group, who uh, who I used to work for, which covers uh, ad agencies like Ogilvy and Mather and J. Walter Thompson. These are big global global agencies with you know, not a, not huge amounts of staff in New Zealand comparatively to some other parts of the world, but you know, many many thousands or, or probably tens of thousands of staff uh, around the world. 
and uh, you know you're reading notices from them saying that shut down their networks, Macs and PCs, and so on. They were, uh, you know, very uh, uh, being very cautious around having uh, having this stuff spread, and it did seem to be spreading around some of those big uh, big networks. Uh, there was a Cadbury factory that was impacted as well. Um, lots of yeah, lots of lots of bigger or a bunch of bigger entities. Not not. Lots in the scheme of it, but when you think of how big these entities are, and the um, the malware was able to basically spread from device to device. So I saw some pictures that I think related to this attack that showed uh, inside a supermarket where basically, yeah, it must have got into one device and it had just spread around. So you've got all these tills that aren't uh, aren't working. So hmm. not a not an ideal position for your organisation to be in. So if you're an organization listening to the podcast and you're thinking, okay, I know that's happened. I'm now having a bit of a panic because how do I stop that happening to my little mum and dad store that I've got, you know, four or five staff with a few computers? Like what's the, what, what do you guys think? What's the, the techniques to at least minimize the, this sort of disruption? Because losing all your business data is, is probably quite bad. Yeah, I mean, the, I think most of the practices around how to minimize these are, continuing to get publicity and last week was just another I guess another situation this is another situation that helps us remind people what are appropriate practices certainly running on older technologies that aren't so well maintained from a security perspective this is a good reminder to stay away from those those sort of systems that are no longer supported like Windows XP but even if you're running on Windows, running on older versions of Windows like 7 or 8, those aren't as capable from a security perspective as what Windows 10 is. Uh, if you're on Mac, um, you know, although I don't think Mac was, you know, at all impacted with, with, with this unless you were running Windows on your Mac, uh, run the, run the very latest stuff because it's going to, uh, it's going to cater to, to that stuff a lot better. Good backups, of course, is, is is always important. Good password policy, you know, those things remain uh, important, and not using, uh, you know, the same password across multiple systems. So, yeah, is there a chance I think to do some blatant self promotion as well. It's yeah, well, I mean, these are these are all things that uh, that you know, Gorilla uh, you know, has as as standard sort of part of of our model in terms of taking care of those things. And another aspect that's really important that we've done for many years is the um, end-user training, is giving you know, giving people that cyber security awareness training and actually running them through typical scenarios that uh, maybe have actually impacted their own organisation in some way that they're not aware of or that have impacted other organisations. So often when we're doing that, We'll try and find any particular stories from inside the organisation we can uh, we can share. Uh, you know, one one case we had a, a CFO that got hit with a uh, an email from uh, or a, it looked like an email from the CEO saying, you know, please transfer X amount of funds into a particular bank account. We'll sort the paperwork out later. Type of type of thing. Those things were very common for yeah for a period of time. Over yeah maybe a six to twelve month period, we would have seen about half of our uh, of our clients uh, yeah hit with these sort of I guess you know spear phishing type attacks where they were very you know directed at very specific individuals within the organisations, 
And yeah, fortunately, none of them fell for it. But there have been variations on that where New Zealand organisations have been hit and have lot, you know, lost lots of money. Most of them haven't been publicised in the media, but there have been you know, one or two where people have lost you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, and I think there's probably some scenarios where there's been a lot more than that that's uh, that's that's been lost. So, um, yeah, telling those stories and and teaching people what they can do to you know minimise the risk because they do share some of the responsibilities important as well. So, um, yeah, all all of those. We should really come up with a promo code for this so that if anyone does sign up to the podcast, you know, Rafael and I are starting to get a cut of this. <laughs> I think that's a fair fair call. Yeah, very good, very good. <laughs> Uh, Raphael, I mean, is, uh, is cybersecurity sort of something that you have to look at much with a new organisation at at this stage? Is it I, I think cybersecurity is something that every organisation needs to be aware of. Um, we're all very tech savvy, so I guess we're running the latest stuff to, to keep ourselves safe. Um, no Windows XP in our organisation. That's good. Um, so we're protecting ourselves in that way, but you know, also making sure that the data of our students and everything is kept safe is obviously really important for us as well. Yeah, you don't want somebody uh, wandering in and uh, exposing your um, uh, user passwords and things like that, right? So yeah. they're all things that you have to be thinking about and hopefully we're, we're mostly past that sort of uh, scenario where people's databases get uh, get hacked and mm-hmm. uh, passwords get get leaked because you know i think we all we all know that uh, um passwords need to be kept in a in a hashed and salted manner and so on without going into the technicalities basically that passwords can't be leaked anymore right exactly so, uh, so we don't actually yeah. have them we we do all of our password stuff through google or facebook so yeah that's need, a, that, that's a good way to not get not yep. get involved in it <laughs> leave it for someone else to handle yep. yeah yeah uh, that's good stuff Good, good. Uh, now, so on to, on to other, other topics because there's, there's probably a fair bit we could uh, dive into there. Now, we talked a little bit on the, uh, the podcast episode with Tony Baird, the CTO at, uh, at Vodafone, around this uh, scenario where Vodafone had uh, some sort of a performance issue within their network that was being uh, being picked up by TrueNet. That's been resolved. Now, listening into that chat with Tony Baird at Vodafone, I'm not sure I had completely the full story there or I might have um, had my mind on something else. I didn't get the whole picture. So I've just filled in a couple of gaps on that today after talking to uh, TrueNet. And so the, I guess I'd been left with an impression from Vodafone that they didn't have an issue and that the TrueNet report that had come out saying there'd been a 29% increase month to month in terms of um, average uh, web page speed was um, maybe a, an issue within TrueNet's network. Now, the, f- the full story is that um, the information from TrueNet, I think, helped Vodafone investigate and resolve this and that it was a third party that obviously that they utilized within their network in some area that was causing this uh, this particular issue so i don't know if it was a peering related issue or a caching issue uh but there was some some issue and that has been uh, that has been addressed so um yeah the nice thing is Vodafone no longer have that issue and so um 
Got some pretty good speeds across their network. Those improvements dwarf the improvements from all the other. It's massive. Well, I think it's because they were operating slowly there for for a period of you know a number of number of weeks, maybe up to a couple of months, Uh, and it was specifically to do with uh, there's a a probe that TrueNet put out there that um, my understanding of it is it downloads certain web pages. So, and that sits yeah basically on the network at the you know, end user who's uh, who they're, they're testing. And if that person's on Vodafone, then it's obviously using Vodafone's network and it pulls down those files and it you know, times how long it takes to, to download that right. particular web page. And, uh, yeah, some of those weren't running too well. But it is interesting seeing these improvements sort of up and down and, and variances month to month. Now, of course, the more devices you've got measuring this stuff – the more accurate it's going to be and the less variance you're likely to see. So there are variances there. I think it's showed Slingshot Fiber um, and Voyager Fiber. Both of those had dropped um, you know, a reasonable reasonable chunk, uh, even Spark and, and 2 Degrees Fiber, you know, in the range 3 to 5%. But with there not being... You know, tens of thousands of probes out there. Then uh, these figures, those particular numbers, may not mean um, you know too much. And then some others like uh, what do we have? Uh, Big pipe fibre that have bumped up, and, and my republic fibre that have bumped up, uh, trust power fibre that had bumped up a lot as well. So kind of uh, kind of interesting. But I just wanted to fill that that gap in in case it wasn't clear uh, on that chat with uh, with t- Tony Beard. Uh, but that episode is worth listening to if you're curious about uh, 5G as it relates to uh, to New Zealand and uh, also the new um, work that Vodafone are doing around uh, launching an IoT network for Internet of Things and so that's that's quite curious sort of learning what's this whole network about and Spark have also announced in the last um uh, actually probably following that chat with, with Tony, which was uh, late last week, uh, they've made some announcements around a, an IoT network. And so these are new, uh, effectively new mobile networks that will use uh, you know, some of the, the spectrum that uh, Spark and Vodafone already have that will talk to all sorts of things from vehicles to um, the power grid and, and, and so on, You know, particularly uh, people's power meters in their homes so yeah but we won't dive in any more around uh, around that on this episode otherwise we will just not have enough time so uh, good to see my prov- I'm on Voyager Fiverr so it's really good to see that my provider was second worst <laughs> <laughs> in the lineup so yeah that's that's good that, but that well, graph shows the change not how good they are right that is true yeah so it might, be, it might still be the best yeah is. so you have to look through a lot of a lot of data to get a handle on what's happening and yeah month to month and so yeah. on so uh yeah but uh, you know it's good it's good that we're getting these things uh we're getting these things measured now on to tesla model 3 which i know we have a bunch of listeners who are who are rather interested in the Tesla Model 3 um, for a couple of reasons. One, because it brings Tesla down to a more accessible price point, um, a launch point in the US of about 35000 We don't know what that will actually be once it, uh, once it hits New Zealand, but maybe a starting point around the um, 60K sort of direction. 
so Elon Musk has uh, tweeted again, which is often how uh, news about uh, Tesla and SpaceX and boring company and so on uh, get to us. And uh, he's saying that the Model 3 has passed all its regulatory requirements uh, for production uh, a couple of weeks ahead of schedule. And they're expecting to uh, release SN1 uh, this Friday, which is serial number one, the, the, the first uh, production car off the uh, off the, the line. And kind of curious, read, reading some of the other sort of info about this, they're talking about having uh, the first 30 vehicles uh, ready to hand over customers at the end of the month, so building about 30 cars this month, uh, building to 100 cars in August, September making 1,500 uh, 15, uh, Model 3s, and then by the end of the year, 20,000 a month that they're building. So they're really going through a pretty, mm-hmm. uh, a pretty fast ramp up process. But it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting that, uh, uh, they, they just need to deliver 30 of them this month. Uh, well, Elon, I, I can't remember if I read about it or he spoke about it in a, a podcast I was listening to, but he said that one of the big mistakes they made when they launched the other vehicles was it was just too configurable. Like they just gave their customers too many options to be able to, to change. And so in, in this, launch all you'll be able to do is pick the color on the outside not the interior color just the external color and the wheels danny said that should you know were very foolish to make it so configurable but they wanted to sort of make it as customizable to the customers as possible he said that will come later so initially it's just those two are the only things you can and then and then the software sort of options right because you 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 get sensors and so on that are that are there but uh some some options around um autonomous capability and so on right so i think that is a very wise move like i suppose the physical aspects of it limiting them to just those two things is probably a wise move and should help them ramp their production right up mm. mm-hmm. um, you, do you think you'll buy one Paul well so it depends when they get to New Zealand so we've heard some commentary suggesting it could be 2019 before the first ones get to New Zealand uh, what I've heard you know also heard that it will be sometime next year but yeah that's that you know the timing of it matters also what are our other options at that stage in terms of autonomous vehicles right because Tesla and you know, Elon are very good at sort of talking about things that are a little little way out, and they don't always. Um, Elon doesn't doesn't always deliver on on things that he talks about. But I do I do like you know a number of aspects around how they operate, which is uh, you know much more aligned with with how we tend to think in the in the technology world and yeah this idea of well it's ready so we're going to launch it we're going to have 30 cars available this month uh yeah i like that whereas with a you know a traditional car maker there would be a a, you know a a whole different sort of scheduling uh process and the way the dates are they you know they wouldn't make just 30 vehicles available you know, generally speaking, for a um, you know a mass car manufacturer, and then a hundred the month later, and and so on. Even though behind the scenes, that might might be how they work, but um, but I don't know. Maybe they do, but it's just the way that Tesla are talking about it. That's uh, uh, that's interesting because you know I guess it is it is um, yeah common with new vehicles to have to uh, have to wait and so on. But I think they are trying to follow that technology company kind of way of doing things, and you know having people queuing up to buy them and. The first early adopters get it ahead of everyone else, and those first thirty will be 
you know, very lucky. And I think that's the way well, they'll, they'll get the shonkiest car, though, won't they? Well, they because, probably will. Uh, but, you know, that's yeah. what early adopters are happy to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's. Uh, it's exciting to see things moving forward in that front. I think you actually answered my question. That was a very political answer. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Would, would you be keen to buy one? I'm I'm pretty keen, but of course, my longer term view for me and, and you know and for uh, the gorilla business is that we shouldn't need to own our own vehicles, right? So this you know getting a, a te- an autonomous Tesla would be a sort of a, a trialing of the technology and getting familiar with it. And waiting for maybe a, you know two three however many years and maybe, maybe that's quite a compressed period of time until autonomous vehicles are you know are able to mean that we don't need to have our own car park because no one needs to you know bring a bring a car to work uh, where we you know certainly don't need to have a have um, you know a car park for our own gorilla vehicles because in the same way we use ride-sharing services today that we would be using the next generation of those with autonomous vehicles mm-hmm. and the benefits that that would, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully bring. And then you've got the whole concept of um, uh, mixed-mode or multi-mode transport, which yeah, I think will make will probably make a lot of sense uh, in New Zealand as it will in, in other you know, parts of the world where the autonomous vehicle might be, you know, just one slice of the journey, you know, part of the journey, you might be on your bicycle or you might be on the train and so on. But, you know, you're using an app or technology that is giving you options for how you get from, from A to B. So if you need to make a big uh, journey to the airport, then, or, you know, a, a long, longish distance, then being in a single, you know, a single person in a large vehicle might not be the most effective way to do it. And certainly, uh, yeah, is something that today has a fairly negative impact on how long it takes to get from A to B because we've got uh, uh, vehicles that aren't being shared amongst uh, amongst people, so it's pretty inefficient. Yeah, but I think the whole car as a service thing is is the obvious way to go, and I can't wait till it gets there. Basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I th- I think it's it's exciting, and you know we've just you know keep, keep spending money in New Zealand on on our roads. The the bit I'm you know, curious about is just how quickly we'll be able to ramp the technology up and and how people will feel about bigger changes in uh, in transport and so how quickly will we move over to you know, using those new systems and you know multi mode type situations or whether we still just want to be one person sitting in one vehicle. Uh, but but I think part of that will be around the pricing model we use, and I think the people are driven by money in the end. So once we can have an autonomous vehicle that drives you, and you don't pay for parking anymore, and you do whatever else, then it becomes a no brainer that why why wouldn't you kind of thing? Rather than I want to do something good, it's a I'd be stupid not to do it, and I think that changes the game around. Yeah, yeah, and but there are you know aspects where the technology could. Yeah, for instance, yeah, it already happens with Uber overseas. I don't think it happens here, does it? Um, I'm trying to remember, um, right sharing one? with with sharing, so you can have multiple people yeah, in the same right. vehicle. I don't we think don't I don't think we've had that yet. No, we don't. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's US and Canada where I've tried that, and mm. uh, yeah, th- those sorts of scenarios, if they're done really well with the right, yeah, you know, the the technology and the artificial intelligence 
machine learning pieces kind of all work together really well, then that could be reasonably seamless and people could be quite comfortable with it. And, uh, you know, if, yeah, if that speeds up your, your journey because you go into a different lane as we already have those sort of uh, uh, lanes on some roads and motorways today, that will, uh, that will encourage it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's, there's, there's lots ahead. There's plenty of room for, for innovation uh, too that, you know, we just haven't, haven't seen yet because we're still a little bit down the track of being in that world of uh, electric and autonomous vehicles. Uh, now, on to, well, this, uh, this, there's one thing, Nate, that you mentioned that I had missed, that uh, a Tesla Model 3 has been, uh, been spotted in New Zealand. Yeah, someone spotted it uh, on a New Zealand plane, so it had come over as part of air freight, and they'd taken photos of it parked up at uh, Auckland Airport, so it had come in, I assume, from that, either the LA or the San Fran flight overnight. Yeah. And then spotted it, but, and there's a whole lot of um, ideas that they've why it's here the, I think the most credible one is that they're testing it in the South Island around the, there's a big like snow we've got track. the proving grounds down down yeah, there yeah. Yes. So and it's the right the idea is that it's um, they've brought it down just to test it around there because they can do it because obviously North America's in the middle of, of summer right at the moment um, yeah it's pretty cool how it, mm. it got spotted yeah, and, and it's a cool thing that we've got those uh, proving grounds, I think, uh, down near Queenstown. And, you know, yeah, it allows the automakers, I think it's the only, the only um, one of its its type in the southern hemisphere, and it allows the automakers that are you know, generally based in the northern hemisphere um, to be able to do that, you know, testing on snow and ice and, and so on without having to, uh, you know, Go up to the Arctic and, and so on mm. um, to uh, to to do that testing, and usually there aren't too many sort of sneaky eyes sort of looking around at, at, at things or as much. Well, uh, I actually I looked here. at the corporate site for that that proving ground that they've got, and one of the the sales things that they have is they're actually quite remote, and so if you have got any quite sensitive um, car stuff, you can quite safely spin your car around that track, and it's it's very remote that someone would. It's very difficult for someone to get all the way up there to actually watch and take photos and blah blah blah. So yeah, it's called the uh, Southern Hemisphere Proving Ground, um, and they what else do they they say? Uh, yeah, Queenstown, um, one hour from um, from the airport in uh, Queenstown. Um, so maybe they're they're closer to. It's Monica, also interesting on the website how they've got that three. They've got a three month window, so June, July, August. So they're only really active for those three months, because then after that you go up to Canada and then Alaska and then back around again. So they're mm, mm. they're part of a circuit, but yeah, for those three months in winter, it's pretty cool. So yeah, it's, it's probably probably some uh, some of the Tesla crew were having a having a bit of uh, <laughs> a bit of fun on the uh, the final product. But yeah, this is really interesting. Where they've, they've really they've just got to the end of. I guess the the um, you know making their final prototypes got something down here in New Zealand, and hey, in what three weeks, four weeks, there's going to be these cars in people's hands, and and that's kind of the, just that accelerated pace at which uh, you know which the auto world has had to uh, had to move in. Uh, into to uh, just to keep up with how things are going, and it certainly puts some pressure on the traditional automakers that had yeah generally uh, longer development cycles than uh, than what we're what we're now seeing. Mm. But I mean, they're probably just testing software stuff at this point anyway. So 
that's all stuff that can be fixed or is probably learning itself anyway. So Over the year updates. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it'll probably be learning and updating the cars that have already been made, so that's not a problem that they're mm. doing it so last minute. Yeah. It's uh, it's very very cool stuff, and yeah, certainly as they get them on the road, then they're, they're getting a lot more uh, data. Although there've yeah, been there've been obviously some some on the road initially, um, and now Elon's also been in the news for um, his other company, the Boring Company, uh, B O R I N G, um, doing uh, doing some some tunneling in uh, in Los Angeles and yeah there's already some um, some photos and so on and uh, they've cut their uh, first uh, segment of a of a tunnel in uh, Los Angeles so um, it's kind of cool stuff eh mm. there's a um, there's a TED talk that he's done it's about 45 minutes I think and it's an interview where he, t- he talks about the boring company and, and it goes into amazing amount of detail things like the diameter of the drill bit and how the bigger you go it exponentially gets more expensive and how um, if you're going to build that sort of technology above land it's a lot more expensive and I, I won't ruin the whole thing but it's you should definitely if you haven't seen it it's, it's on YouTube video, it's, it? very, it's yeah, a yeah. very very good video to watch um, and he just he goes through all the the thought patterns around why they're doing particular things and yeah really really good the, yeah, the the bit that surprised me was when I saw that I was thinking that it was a little bit further <laughs> off and then suddenly oh yeah we're actually tunneling in LA right now in the car it's park only, it's only been a few <laughs> weeks since you know since we talked about yeah. uh, that TEDx talk so. but, but that's how Elon always is it's, the timing is always a surprise either it's much longer than you expect or he says or it's much <laughs> sooner than you think yeah. so I think that's something we have to get used to with him <laughs> yeah yeah uh, now there's a um, a supermarket in the UK who uh May be uh, beginning a little bit of a jump on uh, on Amazon, and so the information that I've uh, that I've seen uh, is that they're going to be launching these um, uh, self driving uh, delivery vehicles. So you get uh, you know get your grocery order in, and then the autonomous vehicle will be. Uh, um, dropping off your groceries very soon thereafter. Um, the company Okado, um, it's their uh, their their uh, they're the supermarket chain, and the photos show a vehicle with sort of uh, um, you know little units where you can basically go in and open a door and, and pull out your uh, your delivery so they're, you know they're, they're smaller uh, smaller vehicles um, but they're they're the um, uh, called the cargo pod vehicle uh, developed by ox uh, Botica. it looks like a really uh, it's pretty cool it's like the it's really, like the really cool st- approach it's like an it's like the initial step to uber eats so your food's not prepared it's it's in raw mode <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sort of in, and in it's between. Not, it's not autonomously drawn, so it's probably not as cool. But this, this is way cooler because it's, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. But there's probably the you know, could use it. That's true. More, more of a you know of a need to get you know groceries to to people than there is of um, you know takeaway food to to get delivered so we obviously haven't hung out much pretty big pretty big market i'm a big fan of the uber eats paul (laughs) i won't i won't uh i won't tell you how many orders that we've had in the office on uber eats uh uh this week 
it's only, it's only Tuesday, but uh, a few. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the, I mean, these technologies are, are really interesting and really relevant. The, the, the challenge, I suppose, so Uber Eats, which is a, a courier service which can, you know, come up to your door and so on, they're not quite at that, you know, state with this yet, so you still have to go out to the street and, you know, get your, um, uh, get your groceries and so on out of the vehicles, but that's because you're using an, an autonomous uh, vehicle. And, you know, as, as these things mature, I'm sure we will have some, um, some scary-looking robots able to run up to our, our doors or we'll have delivery spots and, and so on. So, uh, yeah, to replace our odd letter boxes. But yeah. it's, it's all moving Such along cool quite nicely. So yeah. cool. Yeah. I think New Zealand courier companies could use that and deliver your parcels when you're actually at home. Yeah, fantastic improvement on what they do now. Where, where, they, where you're there, but they don't actually uh, they don't turn knock. up because the, the, the driver's too busy, so he just leaves a card to call or something. Yeah, yeah. Or, or they just turn up when you're at work and you can't pick up and you have to go to the depot. And now they can just say, well, you want it at 10 o'clock at night? Fine, we'll have the autonomous vehicle dropping it off then. And yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it would work perfectly for parcels just as much as food. So Yeah, yeah. Well, I had an interaction with a telco uh, over the weekend and. The situation was, I'd said, yeah, I want X, Y, Z. What's your home address? Oh, here's my home address. Good, good, good. Get to the end of it. I said, well, I don't really want you to deliver that new SIM card to my home address, of course, because like most people, I'm usually at work during the day. Oh, what? Oh, well, I've already pressed the button. It's already, that's where it's going. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, okay, th- yeah, th- thanks very much. You know, you mm-hmm. probably could improve that that process a little bit. Um, but, yeah, that that you know, obviously it was just... All uh, moving a little bit, a little bit too quickly. So I did manage to go in online because they were using uh, Courier Post and redirect it. But you know, now what they said would arrive on Monday. It's yeah, end of Tuesday, and you know, I haven't had any notification of it actually being out for delivery yet. So uh, um, yeah, I, I I don't know what happened with the with the Monday delivery because uh, it hadn't hadn't actually left anywhere at that stage. But, uh, yeah, never mind. There's there's definitely some improvement that can be done around uh, around the, the delivery world. And, you know, I guess to a, to a degree we're seeing some of that mm-hmm. uh, where you can go in and redirect things and, and make changes before, before things get uh, delivered and you can give them extra information of, well, if I'm not home, drop it at XYZ location on my property, which I consider to be safe and I'm happy happy for you to do that rather than for me to sign for for the goods so yeah that's true yeah it's it is good to see that that stuff um going on um all right now very quickly pandora is winding down their operations um here uh in new zealand and australia which is yeah it's i guess it's a it's a little little bit uh a little bit sad to see when uh business doesn't uh doesn't work out uh, but yeah, r- reality is that they've had some pretty stiff competition, haven't they? Mm-hmm. I think it's Spotify has just taken over the market, and you know, once you've used it, it's hard to go back to anything else. I think so. Was Pandora the one where I think I used it once, and it's where if you if you play a song and skip it, and play a song and skip it, there's only so many skips you get, and then it says, "Sorry, you, you've you've skipped all you can skip. We pay for every song or whatever, it is, so you can't skip anymore." Is that, is that Pandora? It's, it's been a while since I've used Pandora, so I'm I'm a little bit hazy. But I yeah. think it was more a sort of a more 
down the radio track, wasn't it, in terms of how it would pick the I, content? I, th- I think right? it was, but I think it was kind of personalized radio where yeah, that's it understood right. what yeah. you knew and kind of yeah. gave you what you wanted. Again, I haven't used it for many years, possibly a few times years ago, but I mean, they have similar features to that on Spotify now too, where you choose a radio based on a song or a number of yeah. songs and then it'll automatically basically give you the music that you want and it's incredibly clever. So, so what we're saying is the three of us really probably won't notice that Pandora's got because no, we don't use it. No, mm-hmm. but they had sixty staff working in um, in the region, which is yeah, that's a that's a that's a pretty pretty mm-hmm. yeah significant um, you know group of uh, group of people. But it seems they they're certainly going through some uh, some trying uh, times at, at at the moment. So it'll be curious to see what what's next for them. But they're uh, they're refocusing on uh, on the US, and um, yeah, we we may end up with a situation where. We we end up um, with a lot less players than are in the space at the moment. Mm. Now, I think it's probably time we have a little bit of a, a chat um, about Osnova. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Osnova. Osnova. Now, what I missed last week, which was where I was supposed to um, uh, initially hear, hear what you were about, was... Um, the you know you've been part of the uh, flux accelerator for what about the last five months or so yeah yeah since middle of February yeah uh, so and last week was the presentation to angel investors and other sort of interested uh, interested parties of which there was a pretty big uh, big turnout right at um, yeah yeah so last week we basically pitched to it was exclusively angel investors basically they had five to six hundred I think it was the biggest event they've held in New Zealand so quite a big deal and it was an amazing crowd of people everyone who was anyone was there basically so great opportunity to get the the right people to hear about what we're doing that's great raise our next round yeah um so yeah unfortunately on on the day I wasn't able to make it but uh you were presenting the there were I think uh five others that were part of this um um, this period with the Flux Accelerator. So there was the uh, Social Club, um, a, a platform that connects brands with um, uh, you know, social media uh, influencers, uh, Genoa Pay, who we're going to be talking uh, to their founder. I think that's, uh, that's coming up next week, um, which provides retailers with... Um, Payment plans for for consumers, and uh, I guess it's a, a a modern version of the old sort of lay by for uh, for products. So mm-hmm. you know people can pay something off before they get it, which yeah. is, uh, is is a, a smart thing to be doing. Um, one center who work to um, make it easier for um, those establishing. Uh, trade accounts so I guess um, this is sort of scenarios whereby you need to do credit checks and, and so on and sort of digitizes that process is that what you probably yeah yeah that's bit, right bit so basically they're, they're just digitizing the whole trade credit application process yeah and taking it from a long complicated paper-based process where no one knows what's happening to something that's done very very quickly online and everyone knows the process so you can get customers signed on at a fraction of the time much lower cost so yeah, yeah, such a cool idea. It's good. Yeah, uh, vid, uh, 
VidApp, uh, which is for uh, video producers to connect and, and sell um, globally through their own uh, customized video apps. And then uh, Jude, which you know I think has has already had some um, some good attention uh, to date, uh, where they're sort of redesigning what a, a banking experience um, you know should and 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 uh, and could uh, look like, and gives you kind of a, um, um, a, a virtual private banker of sorts. So um, yeah. And that's probably probably one we uh, we should be delving into as well in a future episode. But um, yeah, I think so. Raphael, tell us tell us what you've been working on, and and tell us how you went with uh, with presenting to uh, the angel and investors. And are they going to uh, are they going to help you to the next stage of the business? I'll start with the second question. I think yes, they are. We've had huge amounts of interest. Um, from the investors that were in the room and the people who are running the event said that it looks like we're I mean, well and truly oversubscribed. So we've had huge amounts of interest. Um, now, obviously, there's still quite a lot of process to go through to make sure we bring them all in line and get that um, document signed. Um, but we're working to do that as quickly as possible so we can focus on doing what we really want to do, which is making our software and helping kids to learn maths. But um, we're working hard to do that. So, so kids to learn maths. What what is that going to look like with your software? Yeah. So basically, what we've done is to create a system which digitizes, I guess, a private tutor. So the idea is that every person learns differently, and everyone knows different things already. And a private tutor is the most effective way to learn because they teach you exactly what you need to know, rather than what a whole class needs to know. And they teach you in a way that you learn best and they also understand and know about you. So if you're missing something, they can kind of fill in those gaps for you as you go. And that means that you have a much better experience for learning than if you're sitting in a classroom or trying to learn out of a book or other software, which often just emulates that sort of classroom behavior. Yeah, I mean, this stuff really interests me. And, you know, I remember when the uh, New Zealand government announced that there were there were going to be changes to education in New Zealand and the ability for uh, people, you know, for, well, for, for children to be able to, um, you know, study in a more electronic type context where they're not necessarily sitting in a classroom all of the time. And... Yeah, I had some interesting interactions with people that were really against it and were just like, this is terrible. And they, they you know, just thought, you know, this is just going to degrade our education uh, system and, and standards and put teachers out of work and, and so on. Um, but I remember, you know, thinking through my own experience, there was, there was, uh, uh, a period during my childhood when my, when my family traveled and, um, my, Education for a period was via correspondence school, and so everything that I was doing was, you know, was really just just me. And it was interesting how quickly we got we got through the material. Now, mm-hmm. this would really take that to the next sort of level in terms of you, you know, you're just drilling into what you what you need. And yeah, classroom type learning situations, you can be you know going at a fraction of the space of the pace. That, that you can do when the learning is totally customized to you, right? Exactly. And, and, you know, the whole point is that in a classroom you have to kind of teach to that average student and having taught for years myself, 
you know, you know what you have to do and you know there are some people who are bored who are way ahead and then there's a bunch of people who are lost but you can't really help them because you're teaching to a whole class. And what we're really trying to do is to individualize that experience so that everyone learns what they need. And a good analogy is if you think back in the old days, you know, royals used to have their own private teachers and every, you know, prince or princess had a teacher that kind of taught them. And, you know, we, the only reason why we don't do that is that we just can't afford to have a full-time teacher for every student and we definitely don't have enough good teachers. But now that we live in this age of artificial intelligence, we can turn that around and say, well, now we finally can, so why don't we? And I think the, the point you raised there where you were away from school is actually a really good example of why something like this is effective because from my experience at university and teaching there, a lot of students struggle because they're missing something. And it's not necessarily that they're bad students, they, just, you know, they come along and go, oh, I can't do calculus, I just don't get it. And you spend five minutes with them and you go, oh, no, 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 your calculus is completely fine. You've got a couple of gaps in your algebra. But no matter how hard you practice this calculus, you're never going to get that because it's something that to you seems completely unrelated and you wouldn't know where to find that. And like everyone else, it's very hard for a student to know what they don't know. So they don't realize what that particular gap is in the algebra that they need to do the calculus. And what one of the really special things around our system is, is that it understands why you make the mistake. <clears throat> so it's able to, A, tell you exactly how you need to do it to, to learn that, but then it also automatically goes back and teaches you that topic that you might have missed and then goes back and checks that you can do it now. So rather than the students sort of being given 10 of some exercise and just failing over and over and getting put off, they do that once, we understand why, we go back and teach them those things that they're missing and come back and now we go, yep, now you know this, we'll do a few more just to make sure you've learned it and you move on, the student doesn't have this really negative experience and they're sort of automatically taught exactly the things that they need right there, right then, um, which helps them to move on. And so a student never kind of gets stuck doing maths again. It's always a, right. a forward process. And you you, know, you automate that. There's a few more levels you can take it, sort mm-hmm. of electric shock treatment if they're, uh, <laughs> if they're not learning fast enough. Um, no, <laughs> I think we'll leave that to parents to implement if they want to. But. I'm kidding. Um, no, uh, I guess, you know, as, a, as, a, as you think it through, you think, well, you know, the next generation of uh, youngsters that are that are coming coming through and learning, mm-hmm. yeah, and I'm looking back to my childhood where we we didn't have the internet as you know in terms of information on tap. So yeah, that's obviously the norm these days. But you you add in and um, you know personalised tutoring and and coaching through a um, system like what you're developing. And we potentially end up with people that are much more, uh, much more capable when they come out of the, the education system. You know, whatever form that uh, that that takes, if they're able to utilise this tech. So yeah, it yeah, seems, seems really cool. Hmm. So uh, people listening, if if they're interested in wanting to to improve their math, are they? Can we sign up? Now, can we start today, or do we have to, is there a wait? Or? Um, you can you can try it out. We're still in in the trial phase, so we have limited content on our system at the moment, and we're working with a number of schools to sort of make sure the system works in the way students and teachers need it to. Mm-hmm. But you are more than welcome to try it out. And if you go to our website, which is www.ame.ac, just a m y like the name .ac, then you can go in there and you can give it a go. And if you have a play with the demo, which we've got on there as well, then you can kind of see 
very quickly how this system works and how it adapts to you. Um, yeah. Very cool. That's cool. Now, what is the age group that you're sort of catering to at the moment in terms of the content that you have? Because it's something that will obviously expand over time, but you've got a, a particular focus for now. Yeah, so at the moment we've got year 11 algebra. We've got a number of year 10 and some year 9 on there as well. Um, so that's where we're starting. We'll be moving to cover high school in general, but over time we want to cover everything from primary right to university, and then we'll start teaching other subjects like physics and things like that as well. Seems pretty uh, pretty cool. It's very cool. Def- definitely something I, th- I you know I think um, yeah would would have made a, a big difference for students that maybe didn't always sort of click into some of the, mm-hmm. the school learning systems if you know if it works works well. Um, but yeah, I think yeah most people probably had situations in class where they either were you know ahead of the class or behind the class, not quite fitting with the with the tempo of um, of yeah. the material. So you know from that aspect, really good. And you know, I think of my own child at the moment. He's you know uh, six and a half. Um, yeah, we're obviously tracking his progress pretty closely. And we've been looking at well, what's the right you know what's the right help to give him in in mm-hmm. areas where uh, maybe he does need to put a, a little bit of extra uh, focus. How do we get him up so that he's at, at least equal or or ahead of uh, the others? And you know, obviously, different kids have different you know um, areas that they're going to be naturally capable of, and and other ones where they need a bit more help. So yeah. this just just seems like uh, the the direction that we should be. Be yeah, yeah, and I and I think that's that's really important, right? And different people learn differently, so it's not even necessarily that they're ahead or behind. It's just that a certain student doesn't necessarily get on with a certain teacher, and it's not that either of them are bad or wrong. It's just that it's a personality kind of a clash. And that's so, right. if you kind of have that personalized tutor that's there on the side and kind of keeps you going through that, then it makes a big difference. Yeah. But I think, like you, you know, all of us have experiences or memories of times when we had that teacher, which just kind of threw our maths off and then after that it never made sense again and so you know I think it's something that I come to with my own personal experiences as a student and we're trying to help that but then also my experience as a teacher where we say well this is a problem we see all the time with students arriving at university and we need to you know this is this is an issue we need to solve and then talking to a lot of teachers and they're super excited about what this does for them and how this is going to help them to be much more effective at what they do because teachers are there to inspire students. You know, they, they want to have these outcomes. So they're really excited about how we can help them to do that. And, of course, they don't complain about the fact that when you get rid of, you know, marking and report writing and plagiarism and all those sorts of things as well, and that makes them even happier because then they can really focus their energy on inspiring students rather than doing mountains of paperwork, which wasn't really what they t- signed up for when they came along. So, mm-hmm. and and you know, I guess the longer term uh, view of this sort of thing is we have technology involved. Um, you know, we're working quite closely with the technology. You can, you know, you end up not having to need the traditional exams at the you know at the end of a period or end of a year because you're dealing backwards and forwards with the technology that knows exactly actually where you're at and get you know, a can rank you at, at any point in time rather mm-hmm. than uh, rather than you kind of having to wait for every six months or 12 months or whatever the, the, the period is when you get your report on you know how well a particular um, you know member of your family's doing which it, I think yeah. is really fascinating what the potential of that is exactly I mean 
I, I always like to ask people when the last time was that their boss locked them in a room by themselves for three hours without any sort of technology or assistance and said, here, solve this really important problem for the company. And so far, no one's been able to remember a time when this happened. So I say, why, why do we teach kids and try to say that you're a good student because you can do this when we know that in this day and age, actually very, very different things are important. And the only reason why we do exams is because it's the cheapest way to put someone in a box. And, you know, why don't we just say, well, if we use a system like ours, then we can actually understand exactly what someone knows and, you know, look at a whole lot of other things about them and their work capabilities and things. And we can we can do that automatically without that stress of exams and actually look at, you know, who is good at what and why and, you know, use that to learn to actually teach them better and more effectively as they grow rather than waiting till the end of the year and going, ah, oh, you couldn't do this. Try again next year rather than going, ah, oh, we're two weeks in. We've noticed there's this thing here. Let's see if we can correct it straight away and make you actually pass by the time the end of the year comes. And Yeah, and we, we also have the challenge, uh, and I don't want to delve too far into the uh, educational system and, and our methods, but yeah, I think there's lots of people that have, that have sort of suggested that our, that our current education you know, systems, you know, be it here in New Zealand or around the world, are, are broken in, in various degrees. And, yeah, I guess it is fair to say that the education system looks to sort of cookie-cutter, uh, you know, people to a fair degree. And, you know, realistically, you know, we're all really unique in, in, in lots of ways, personality, the things that we're good at and the things we're not so good at and so on. Uh, but that, that's what makes us who we are. And, you know, the education system is always trying to, you know, get you to be maybe balanced up on one thing and, and so on rather than maybe focusing in on, uh, on your uniques and stronger points. So I, I guess this sort of technology will, will allow us maybe uh, to give that much more personalised, uh, um, you know, education for people in the, in the longer term. So yeah. uh, I, very I, interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think... I think a lot of that's by necessity rather than teachers trying to make everyone the same. It's just that you only have one teacher in a class of 30 students and you try to sort of one. make them fit into your box so you can teach them all in the same way. And, you know, that's not really what we actually need. So if we teach them all individually, then we can accentuate their fortes. But I do actually think it's really important to have a broad education. So it's not just about sure. making people you know, geniuses at one specialization. We need to be very cross-disciplinary. And, you know, my own personal education, I have a degree in history and medical physics, which isn't exactly a common combination, but I think it's it gives me the ability to analyze things in a very different way, which probably helps in the sort of startup that I, that I run. Um, so I think it's important to diversify education, but each of those areas and everyone's combination should be individualized for them. That's good. Well, I think that's us for this episode. So... Um Thank you both for uh, for joining in. Um, mm-hmm. No worries. Where do we where do we track you down online, uh, Nate? Starting with you. Oh, super easy. Just Nate on Twitter. Way nice and you. short. Yeah. 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 Easy peasy. Yeah. yeah. And Raphael. So I'm findable on Raphael Nolden. That's Nolden like Holden, but with an N at the start. Yeah. And I'm on all the social media, or you can find Amy, our tutor, at my tutor Amy again on the different channels. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. That's great, and people can find me, uh, Paul Spain, on uh, on Twitter, and uh, yeah, feel free to connect on on LinkedIn. Uh, if you want to get in touch directly, you can email me 
um, via my website at paulspain.com or emailing paul at spain.nz. All right, well, that's us for this week. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening in. Uh, if you didn't catch that uh, episode, we talked to uh, Tony Bev from Vodafone. Uh, that one will be worth a, uh, a listen as well. So, yeah, that's it. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.